0: Hello, welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast from the Daily News Record, where we discuss everything that's happening with James Madison University Sports. I'm Shane Metlin, alongside Noah Fleischman. We're your JMU beat writers at the DNR. Uh, it's another week of with us without our sports editor, Cody Elliott, here. He's got his handful full with a lot of uh, high school playoff sports going on right now, so he's not, he's not in on the podcast game today. But uh, Co- or Noah and I have plenty to talk about, once again. And I think once again we can kind of start with a story that's only only tangently a JMU story at this point. But uh JMU fans have a, a lot of interest in seeing what happens with Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss as they attempt to join JMU in the Sunbelt Conference starting next school year. And that story just keeps getting wilder and wilder. Um I I mean no Noah, Noah and I have just been kind of like joking about it ever since we uh, <laughs> came in here. It's uh, a <laughs> It When you think you've seen it all, you uh, realize you haven't with uh, the Sunbelt Conference USA. And at this point, especially Marshall, as Marshall has filed a lawsuit against Conference USA, um, which, I mean, and we've seen schools sue leagues before, but I don't think we've ever seen a situation quite exactly like this one. I don't know what you think, Noah.
1: I mean... I don't know. I was just reading a story about kind of more about the Marshall leaving, and they, they pointed to West Virginia trying to leave the Big East and go to the Big 12, and they said that a similar thing happened where they had to sue, and it turned into doing the mediation, and then West Virginia ended up having to pay $20 million to leave, which was four times the exit cost. So that could be a thing that we have, that the Conference USA just tries to charge them a crazy number to, to leave.
0: Yeah, we, we can go here with a... Brief, quick recap of what we talked about last week. When it comes to the uh, the, the saga between these three schools and Conference USA, uh, they all gave Conference USA notice that they were going to leave the league and join the Sun Belt uh, this June at the end of this June. So they'll be playing in the Sun Belt for the 2022-2023 school year. That that's their plan. Conference USA went ahead and essentially said no, you're not leaving quite yet. And they put out a football schedule that included all three of those schools, which, you know, basically anybody outside the Conference USA office kind of got a big laugh out of seeing that because you you just don't do that. Like nobody's ever done anything quite like that before. Sunbelt Conference is expected to put out their own schedule on or around March 1st, which is when they typically release their football schedule for the next year. And everyone is expecting Marshall ODU Southern Miss along with JMU to be on that schedule to make it a 14-team Sun Belt League. And now we've got to the point where Marshall has filed a lawsuit against Conference USA. And that's where it starts to get a little bit complicated to understand exactly what the lawsuit is and, you know, where things are going from here. I, I've done my best to read up on it, uh, talk to some lawyers. Um, Including some who have connections to JMU, so you can, you can keep on in mind whether or not there's any bias there. I don't. I don't think there. I think they're explaining the law pretty well. Um, but I, I've read up on the Eleventh Amendment, which I didn't think I was going to have to do for this job. <laughs> but uh, that, that's where we are right now with things. Is uh, you know I'm studying constitutional amendments I didn't uh, have a whole lot of familiarity with before this. Um, so where it stands with Marshall, they have filed a lawsuit in a West Virginia court against conference USA, basically to say conference USA, you cannot force us into arbitration, which is what conference USA has decided to do. Um, and I believe the reason Marshall is able to do this is because the arbitration is a federal process and Marshall like West Virginia as a Noah mentioned West Virginia did this in the past in a West Virginia court and had some success with it. They argued that as an arm or branch of the West Virginia state government, we can't be forced into a federal legal process like this, whether it's a lawsuit in a federal court or, in this case, arbitration. So Marshall is saying, you know, we're part of the state government. We can't be forced into arbitration. And the reason that is a big deal is because if this goes to arbitration, it will not be resolved until after next football season, probably at the earliest. We're we're talking about a situation, what I've been told is you've got to find three arbiters. There's a neutral one, and then each side picks an arbiter, which is a judge or a lawyer or someone like that, to sit and hear this case. So you have to Pick those, have them approved, find the time in their schedule where they can all three get together, present a case. There's depositions, there's discovery, there's all these processes before you ever even get to the arbitration, which will be months down the line. So Marshall, and I'm assuming this was probably gonna happen with ODU and Southern Miss at the same at some point too. But Marshall's saying, like, we can't be put into arbitration. They're also saying, you know, we never agreed that mandatory arbitration was part of our conference bylaws that's something the league office just put out there without us ever signing on to so they're arguing that as well but for marshall what they want to do is get it into mediation settle financially quickly the same as west virginia did even though it cost west virginia a ton of money and it will probably cost marshall you know it probably won't cost 20 million dollars because we're not talking about big east to big 12 with huge tv deals but it'll probably cost more than the exit fees. Both sides are going to like claim that there's some damages involved in what the other side is doing. It's going to get hashed out in mediation. Most likely is what all lawyers are saying. Um, and you're going to see these teams end up buying their way out of the conference just as they have intended to do all along. But it's the whole situation has gotten the uh, completely crazy. You, you've ne- I've never seen a conference act out the way Conference USA has here recently with uh, the demands for arbitration, the uh, releasing the schedule, things like that. Uh, it, it's been pretty insane. I don't know if you've, you've ever like imagined anything like this before. no.
1: I mean, if you thought the CAA was being petty over the last 12 months, I mean, Conference USA makes a CAA look not that bad from what they've been doing. I mean, they've been doing some stuff that makes a conference look bad, but you look at Conference USA basically trying to force one of their member schools in the Stang when they don't want to. I mean, at least the CAA are, are letting JMU leave, just letting them leave not and then just with not kind terms on the end. But yeah, I've never really seen a conference try to, uh, to force not one program, but like a few, a handful into staying.
0: Yeah, and you've hit on a little bit about what gets discussed here too, is the difference between JMU and the CAA and these schools and Conference USA. And I've had that explained to me a little bit too here recently is – You know, JMU's issue with the CAA was never really a legal issue. The CAA had every legal right to do what they did to JMU and holding them out of the conference tournaments. That was always more of like a moral, ethical, are we doing what we should be doing for our athletes kind of debate um, and pettiness kind of thing. That was all, you know, completely separate, which is why JMU never sued the CAA to play in those tournaments. They really didn't have a leg to stand on as far as that goes. This Conference USA stuff is completely different. There's, you know, what you see a lot on social media, different things is people who don't necessarily understand the law very well are saying, well, like, it's a contract. You can't break a contract, which is not true. People break contracts all the time. If you break a con, you can, you can break any contract you want. You just have to pay whatever the penalty for breaking that contract is. I mean, you just moved into an apartment. If you, yeah. get, if you get a job sure. with, you know, ESPN in a month, inside you're taking that job, which I think this is a fairly good analogy too. Like, you know, it's almost like, you know,
1: you move up and you you, to get out of a a lease. You just pay the fee to get out and you leave.
0: Yeah. It is a decent analogy. You know, Marshall and these schools, they're, they're moving up to a better place and they're paying to get out of the lease of where they are. And that, you know what they want to do, but conference USA doesn't want to even negotiate the financial settlement of the whole thing, which is where, you know, which is where we get to the point where it's, you know, locked up until, you know, now at this point, it's going to be a West Virginia court that kind of decides where things go. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's, uh, (laughs) it's crazy. One, one, one interesting thing I heard, uh, from one of the lawyers I talked to was that they think releasing the schedule was a terrible move, like just strategically on conference USA's part. They say like now, These schools can point to that as actual damages is like they're not going to be able to like schedule, put out their own schedule. Like there's doubt placed on what their operations are going to be like, and that can cost them money. And they can now point to like, look they've created damages for us. They've also created their own damages by releasing a schedule they know is not accurate. So they can't claim that we're doing damage to them when they're doing their own damage to their own self. And like, that is like a very like, uh, interesting aspect of the whole thing is like just seeing, you know, what these lawyers are going to argue, um, how it's all going to like get separated out there. Uh, I think when it comes down to it, um, Things worked out pretty well for JMU as far as, like, they they uh, they actually, you know, get a lot of positive uh, PR from the whole CAA debacle without it, without it really costing them much. I mean, it cost their athletes, you know, a lot. But as a school, as an institution, they're making the transition pretty smoothly compared to these other schools. And now they just get to wait and see if they will actually play some games against Marshall and ODU next year, which I think is, you know, the, the number one thing JMU fans have been looking forward to here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're six days away from finding out if there's a schedule coming or not. March 1st was what Keith Gill said when they were going to drop their schedule and it would be kind of interesting if the Sunbelt puts a schedule out there with those three schools and then you kind of get two conferences starting to argue. I don't know if they want to get themselves involved in that or not, but, I mean, that would that would definitely make this whole, this whole thing a little more interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would... I could still see a situation where they decided to delay putting it out. But at the same time, if your conference, if your Sunbelt, you've been aiming for this date for, you know, months now, going back to November, this is what your plan has been. And I think they probably, probably are on safer ground putting out their schedule than Conference USA ever was. I mean, we, we were joking about it even just coming in here. Conference USA is saying, this is our schedule. And then they have teams in their league, like Charlotte, is sending out things to their ticket holders saying, "Hey, buy some season tickets." We don't know what our conference schedule looks like yet, <laughs> but, but here are some non-conference games, and so we're going to play eight conference games. We don't know against who, no matter what the conference office is saying. It's, so there's not even the programs in the league are on the same page with the conference office, and it's it's just a it's it's a wild mess there that. Um, Like we talked about last week, it's something JMU fans can sit back and watch with a little bit of uh, interest, but also amusement that they don't have to go through quite all of this uh, stuff that, you know, Marshall and ODU are going through. And in the end, it's probably going to end up being the Sun Belt we expect next year.
1: Yeah, that's what it it looks like. But I mean, at the same time, these teams don't have to come this year. I mean, they technically agreed to the 2023. So in a sense, they can can wait. But I think they just want to expedite this process and get it done early.
0: Yeah, it's 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 extremely interesting to hear how it all uh, how it all is happening. So we can move on to some actual games and actual JMU games because spring sports season has begun. Uh, A little bit of a slow sport, slow start for lacrosse, a little bit of a slow start for baseball, but still some optimistic for those teams. Softball uh, went three and one to open up their weekend. Baseball went oh and three. No, we'll start with what you saw from the baseball team. You watched those games pretty closely, you written about them. They take on uh, George Mason at home for their home opener shortly after we record this, you know, it might be going on when people start listening to this. What do you see from the JMU baseball team? Obviously three losses to a really good Florida State team, but what do you think the future of JMU baseball this season looks like?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were some bright spots from the weekend. Um, you're playing one of the top teams in the country. You're playing in front of 5,000 fans where the, a lot of the Jamie guys either haven't at all in their career or it's been a few years since they've played in front of that many people. And so, I mean, they when I talked to Coach Jack and a few of the players the, yesterday um, just about what they thought about the weekend, and what they took away, most of them took away is that they were happy about how they competed because, yeah, they were down and they lost two games by almost 10 runs or ten runs, and they were down 10-2 at one point and instead of just hanging their head they ended up hitting a sack fly and kind of scoring another run so a lot of it was positive their first game was the closest one they lost 4-1 and that game was pretty close throughout they hit a home run to, to go up one nothing. the next bottom of the inning Florida State hits back-to-back home runs and then it quieted down and Justin Schulter kind of got in his groove and then Florida State kind of took advantage of a pass ball to score a run and then like a sack fly so that game was probably the closest game and most competitive game that JMU played and it showed stuff that they're playing these pitchers I mean all three Florida State pitchers are top guys they're, they're two starting their first two starters are all Americans to start the year um, We'll probably see their names getting called in June but I think overall when you look at the Florida State series 0-3 not what JMU wanted but also at the same time they weren't expected to go in there and win a game so at this point they can turn the page and look ahead and they have the experience of playing this high level team to open the series of uh, the season and now they've got Florida State today and then Fairleigh Dickinson this weekend, so kind of more of a not easier game, but definitely you're not playing at the top ranked team anymore, and this might be some winnable games. And I think that they could pull out their first one of the year uh, this afternoon against George Mason.
0: Yeah. So, what else were some of the positives? I mean, they hit the ball at times. They they produced a little offense, you know, against good pitching staff. They they've got a catcher who can take people off the base pass, which I think is you know probably going to be something that Kim. Uh, be a real advantage as you get into more CAA type level teams. I would think that's a, you know a big thing. They didn't see much from Chase Belatter. I mean, obviously, they were just saying, you know, talking on the radio with Dave Rigert. I just heard you know Coach canberry saying it's basically an inside joke on the team that Chase doesn't do anything on opening weekend, and then then his season begins. Like I guess that's been his his M O since he's gotten to JMU. So. Knowing that, knowing you're probably going to get a lot more out of him down the line, you saw some other guys flash a little bit of stuff here and there. How do you think they do match up with teams? I don't know. You don't describe them necessarily as mid-majors as much in baseball, but CAA-level teams, teams like George Mason, like they're going to play in midweek situations. When. How do they match up if they're not playing against the top 10 team in the country?
1: I think I think they match up really well, especially with their, their batting order is actually pretty strong for being a CAA team. And, I mean, you've got Chase DeLauter, who bats second and third, depending on the day, and Trayvon Dabney, Dabney leading off. you also got power in the bottom half of the lineup as well. So, I mean, overall, this is a team that can compete really well. And if like if they could plan a CAA tournament, I could see them making a run there late in the year. But overall, when they're playing these teams like the CAA teams, but also like George Mason and other teams... <coughs> I think they, they'll, they'll compete well, and they'll definitely have a chance to win. Um, then when they go down to Tennessee in a few weeks, maybe maybe not when they're playing an SEC team. But overall, I think they liked what they saw this weekend, even though their record doesn't reflect it. I think that there was a lot of bright spots that they saw. A couple pitches that they left up in the zone, Florida State made you pay. And when you're playing a team that good, I mean, you make one mistake, and it's not going to go well for you. But, I mean, overall, they're excited. Um, their new pitching approach, they really didn't get to try out this weekend. They let Showalter go five innings, which was two times the order. Then he gave up two base runners that later came out and score. They took him out. Then they went one inning, one inning, one inning the rest of the way. And he said they I can barely said they liked that strategy. It worked on Friday pretty well. So they tried doing it over the weekend. Didn't work as well as it did on Friday. But he thinks they're gonna to start to switch back into that new approach of five innings, four to five innings from one guy, four to five innings from another guy, and then you bring in your closer in the ninth. He thinks that, that will come about starting today and this week, and he also said it's performance-based. So say you go five innings, no hit, you're staying in. But if you go two innings and you give up ten runs, you're coming
0: out. Yeah, I I did kind of wonder about that because we talked so much about that, uh, you know, piggybacking approach with the pitching staff. And then, you know, I'm following it on the live stats a little bit as they're playing, and, yeah, it did jump out at me. Like, a show Walter's going through the lineup another time, and it didn't last very long, but, like, it definitely didn't seem to be a hard and fast rule at least in this situation, so it, yeah, I'll be interested to see if they do get back to that plan when they're facing, I guess, competition they consider more on their level, yeah. um, games they expect to win more, or you know, think think they don't necessarily have to ride their number one pitcher as much as they possibly can. Um, anybody else kind of just jump out at you? I mean, we talk so much about Chase Deutner leading up to the season it obviously wasn't his best weekend uh you know travis rafsneider behind the plate did it you know both sides he did it with his behind the plate and he also did it at the plate with his bat uh so he i mean he stood out to me a little bit which is not a surprise but anybody else that kind of jumped out at you as like you know this is this is a guy who's going to be a big player for this team
1: yeah no it's at third base and trayvon dabney was there to start he played there his freshman year and then Last year, he became more of a utility guy. Now, they're throwing him back at third base for the meantime. I can barely said it's kind of going to be, you know, that's going to be a into our tires. But for right now, he's going to be the guy there. And he's, he's the guy that best lead off. And normally, he's in the outfield playing alongside Chase DeLotter. But instead, they decided to put Fenwick Trimble, a freshman, in left field. And he said he liked putting a freshman out in the outfield rather than in the infield because, you know, these guys, the ball moves a lot quicker at the college level. And, and when you have a guy that's at least played third base, you um, at Jamie before he kind of was used to it, and Trayvon, I talked to him and he talked about how it's like riding a bike. And he hadn't played third in a while, but first co- first ground ball came to him and he re- it was like he's been playing it every day. So that was I think the biggest one of the biggest things, the pieces that Jamie really didn't know was going to happen this year because you obviously knew the pitching, obviously knew most the infield was going to be in the outfield, but that third base was really going to be the the question mark. And I think that right now they've got a solution to it and. He didn't make any errors out there, and he made a few good plays at third as well. So, probably see him back there today and this weekend, and then through time we might see a, a couple of younger guys slide in there as well.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. So we get a chance to take a look at the uh, at the baseball team this weekend. Going to have some action on the big diamond over at Veterans Memorial Park this weekend. It'll be a little while before softball team gets to play in Harrisonburg, but their season is underway, which I think is a uh, you know something. Almost every JMU fan at this point is pretty excited about softball coming off that run last year, and, and just you know going back for the past you know decade or so of building that program up to where it is. They got off to a three and one start this weekend. They lost to a pretty good Charlotte team. They beat a decent UConn team a couple of times, but they really just didn't get the pitching you would expect from them. Uh, Alyssa Humphrey, after pretty much being dominant with Team USA, the under eighteen team in the uh, world championships, winning a gold medal, throwing two perfect games in that tournament. Uh, she's given up some runs so far this year, which is a little bit of a surprise. Maybe, I don't know if it's having a busy, a busy fall, a busy winter that, um, you know, has her maybe not quite where she would be to start a season freshness wise and stuff. But, uh, she's pitched 13 and two thirds innings over two games. Um, and has a 4.1 ERA at this point, which you know she's given up almost as many runs here in the first weekend as you know you'd expect over you know three or four week period uh, last year when she was kind of just mowing down the CAA. I don't know if we need to be worried about the softball team right now because uh, they got some they got some power. They 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 hit hit the ball out of the park. They feel the ball well. They played pretty well. Really, other than not getting. The pitching you would expect, which is kind of expected to be the strong play of this team when they're so inex- inexperienced elsewhere. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see where they go on from, from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, first weekend, you can see for most sports, doesn't go extremely well. I mean, three and one, not terrible. You know, obviously the runs kind of scare you, but I mean, Again, you're not playing CA teams. Obviously, for these teams, the, the CA tournament doesn't. They can't play in it, so it doesn't matter. So of course, you need to you need to play well, in your non-conference games, especially against teams that are a lot better than CA levels. So I mean, three one, not a bad record. But yeah, as you said, you know, sometimes things might scare you, but maybe she'll calm it down this coming weekend, and then, then Shane, you're you're all, you're comfortable watching the live stats instead of seeing a few runs scored that they might not shouldn't
0: be. Yeah, it, it's um it, it is, you know, probably encouraging that everyone they were talking about being a big bat in that lineup really showed that to start this season. You know, you, you look at uh, Lauren Burnett and Emily Phillips who were not the stars of last year's college World series by any means, but they played they were out there they were making plays and they you know are still you know they they, they had good weekends to start they hit the ball out of the park uh somebody like reed butler is somebody everybody was talking about who's you know <clears throat> gonna play some center field for them and can really hit the ball she she's off to a good start um scoring a lot of runs getting on base for them and you know, she struck out a few times but she's somebody who is in her third year in the program and to this point hasn't really played because of injuries. And everybody says that she's just a beast. And she she showed a little bit of that this weekend. Um, you know, what it's really going to come down to, I guess, is like if they get the pitching in order here to s- start the season, because it gets a lot tougher as, as they go on right now. Like, just, you know, this upcoming weekend is going to be the real test. They play – Oakland on Friday which a team I I will admit not knowing a whole lot about but I would think that's when uh, JMU should be able to win but they follow that up with Ole Miss UCF and Florida at the UCF tournament down there in Florida Uh, Florida's top five team in the country Ole Miss UCF both very very good teams it's that's going to be a challenge they're going to have to get they're going to have to get better in the circle to come out of that one okay (laughs) I mean, I, I honestly have no idea what to think, what like record you should expect out of there. But you'd like to go down there and get at least a couple of wins, I would think, uh, in that situation. You win a couple, then you've got at least one pretty solid win in that case. Um, but but they're going to need a little bit more out of Alyssa than what she showed uh, in Charlotte, which, you know, she's, also, you, she's only a redshirt sophomore. Uh, so she's only pitched one year, but... As good as she was her freshman year, I think you can expect things to get better. It's just uh, how how quickly she gets it together will be a, a big key to this season because she, she's really the one they got to rely on. Uh, Alexis Bermudez is a, is a solid pitcher. She's a fine pitcher. She's a pitcher with NCAA tournament experience. But she's not going to be this team's ace. They, they need Alyssa to be as dominant as she was last year.
1: Yeah, what's a, what, when you look at this coming weekend and you talk about how it's going to be a tough what are you looking forward to? Like, I mean, besides outside of pitching, what are you looking forward Like, that that to make that next step against these this high quality competition.
0: I think you know they're going to be playing against teams that put the ball in play. So you got you got to be slick in the field. They're still playing two freshmen in the middle infield, um, so that's always going to be a concern. That you're just going to have some mistakes that lead to runs and lead to things snowballing on you. Um, and they could kind of overcome that last year because they expected to put up a ton of runs really against, you know, most teams and they did. Um, So that, that, that's kind of what you think. And also because too Alyssa is a pitcher who has teams put the ball in play. You know, she's, she, she gets strikeouts, but she's not throwing at 70 miles an hour. Like Odyssey Alexander was last year. Um, So those teams are going to put it in play and you're going to see ground. You want to see ground balls and you want to see those ground balls handled by the, by the infield is, you know, going to be the key i would think to you know finding some success against these these teams where they're they're kicking it up a notch they played a solid tournament last weekend they're playing in a really good tournament field this weekend this this is you know definitely a measuring stick for a young team
1: yeah i know for sure and then we talked about another sport that you know kicked off this, this last couple of weeks was lacrosse kind of a, a rocky rocky start for them but they had a nice showing against uconn
0: yeah that, that was you know a good win against uconn they they and you know, really, it sounds like they played pretty well for most of the game against Virginia Tech, and ended up losing that one by a goal late. Um, and Virginia Tech might end up being like a pretty good team. They're not ranked now, but that's always you know a pretty solid program. But you know, I think you know, you just look at lacrosse; they probably expect it to be two and one right now instead of one and two. And it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they go. Um, it's a team that last year got off to a little bit of a slow start, and then by by late April and May was playing really good lacrosse. And you know, you, you might see that again from them this year. It's just that they can't really quite rely on being able to win the CAA tournament like they have been. Uh, but still they're playing in a conference with CAA, Women's Lacrosse is a multi-bid conference, and they should they should be fine as long as they uh, you know take care of business against teams they should be. Yeah. Beyond that, I guess, you know, before we go, we can hit up quickly on the JMU men's basketball team who's quickly seeing their uh season come to an end they've got two more games and it doesn't sound like there's going to be anything after that they got the two regular season games they're not playing in the ca tournament it doesn't seem like they're looking for much else given the injury concerns with the team right now uh they got to play towson tonight wednesday night if you're listening to this the day we release it and then they've got the tigers coming back to harrisonburg on saturday for the uh season finale for jmu um Towson's a really good team. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what they're able to get from these last two games. I would say a split almost would be have to be considered a pretty successful way to end the season because, you know, Towson's, you know, really, uh, they're right there at the top of the CAA standings, like a half game behind UNCW. Uh, but Towson's also, you know, by most of the metrics, you know, Kim Palm, uh, Net ranking stuff like that they're they're a top 80 ish 75 ish team so that's a good squad and I think Jamie's capable of beating them you know if they play well you I mean we've seen them play well enough to win at unCW and we can get into the fact that they didn't win at unCW here in a second but we've seen them play well enough to be good teams here recently even shorthanded i I really think you know if they can get one of these last two you kind of gotta say hey we ended on a high note let's get everybody healthy, let's keep as many of these guys around for next year as we can, uh, try not to get hit too hard in the transfer portal and, and get ready for our debut in the Sun Belt because we know we can be pretty good if, if we have everybody around is you know, what the JMU staff has to be thinking at this point.
1: No, yeah, and you talk about it, I mean, kind of a beneficial weekend for them. Yes, uh, It was an eventful weekend in college basketball. First of all, with, with altercations on the court. We yes, had that, and we also had at Michigan. So
0: yes, yeah, so we we've seen we've seen slaps and shoves uh, at JMU and at Michigan. We saw ejections with JMU, and then uh, last night, <laughs> uh, UConn. Uh, you know, people. I, I you know I see it on Twitter. early like people were saying, oh, that's the worst ejection. Ever or the I remember, I was like, Oh, I guess you weren't watching Flow Sports on Saturday because they ejected the wrong guy. <laughs> and which ends up, you know, which ends up, you know, probably playing a pretty big role in a one point game, a one point overtime game. And you know, we could probably wrap up here pretty soon, but you know, we can just kinda touch on quickly that it's frankly pretty amazing. No matter what you think about JMU, whatever what you think about the CAA, whatever you think about like all the bickering back and forth between JMU and the CAA over the past couple years, and especially the last several months, it's the odds of it happening twice to JMU that they had technicals and or flagrant fouls that were later apologized for by the league's head of officials saying that that should not have been called basically decide a one point, conference game twice in the span of 11 months like the odds of that happening ha- just have to be astronomical because you can't think of that like happening too often in college basketball at all to like you I mean you see those kinds of things with the apologies and stuff happening every once in a while you don't see them in one-point games very often you don't see them in two one-point games with the same team involved ever like that's just like the fact that that could happen is just absolutely insane
1: I mean, you've
0: got uh, two more games left. <laughs> <Great> <laughs> yeah. <up again. laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it, we'll, we'll see what happens because, you know, Jamie likes to play physical. They're playing a Towson team that really likes to play physical. Uh, you know, hopefully everybody, you know, keeps calm because, uh, you know, both coaches in this one, I think, are people, people tend to like uh, players are pretty likable on both sides. So ho- hopefully, uh, you know, it's just a physical basketball game and not uh, anything too extracurricular this time around. But, uh, yeah. It'll be it'll be interesting way to see JMU wrap up what was a season where they really got to experience the highs and lows of everything that comes with a college basketball. But yeah, so anyway, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap this up here. I'm Shane Metlin with Noah Fleischman. We're uh, we're your JMU beat writers at the Daily News Record, and you've been listening to the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. And thanks for listening.